Hey there, Conquerors, and welcome to episode 105 of the Conquering Columbus podcast. This is Mike here, and I recently had the opportunity to speak on the Business of Podcasting panel at Startup Week Columbus. And if there's one thing I noticed, it's that a lot of people out there are interested in starting their own podcast, but aren't sure where to start. So we've decided to put together a podcast startup package with everything we've learned about building and growing a podcast to help you get there. You can pre-register for the Conquering Columbus podcast startup package now by heading over to our website, conqueringcolumbus.com. I hope you guys enjoy this episode. And as always, we hope you learn a lot. Before we get to that interview, though, I want to ask you all for a quick favor. If you haven't already, pick up your phone and hit that subscribe button on whatever podcast app you're listening on. It really helps support our show and it'll make sure you never miss a single episode of Conquering Columbus. We also want to take a moment to thank some of our supporters. And that starts with 301 Original. In today's market, the brands that pull ahead know how to represent themselves well. 301 Original is seeking to understand how your brand can be visually depicted by illuminating your brand values and showcasing what sets you apart. The team over at 301 Original specializes in commercial photography, web design, graphic design, and social media marketing. With a conversational approach, Kyle and his team will uncover your brand's creative needs and deliver excellence in support of your goals. 301 Original, currently published in Forbes, Petapixel, and GQ, has a reputation for outstanding creativity that attracts new business for individuals, startups, and Fortune 500s. Contact Kyle Asperger today at 301original.com to elevate your brand. Conquering Columbus is brought to you in part by the Sundown Group. The Sundown Group is an Ohio-based nonprofit that helps connect entrepreneurs to investors, mentors, talent, and capital through business pitch events, workshops, and classes offered throughout the state. And for more information, head on over to sundownfirst.org. And our last sponsor is Facilities Management Express, or FMX for short. FMX is actually founded and headquartered here in Columbus, Ohio. They're a startup software company. What's really cool about them is a lot of competitors in this space, but they made a name for themselves by designing an easy-to-use and tailored-fit facilities maintenance and management software. They serve industries ranging from churches and schools to property management, manufacturing, and fast casual restaurants. You can learn more or check out a free trial at gofmx.com. Mike here again. Do you want to be a sponsor of Conquering Columbus? We are looking for some new supporters to help keep the show going in 2018. To inquire about how you can help support the podcast, please send an email to mike at conqueringcolumbus.com. All right, Conquerors. Let's get the show on the road. You could drop me anywhere on the planet in any environment, and I might get you know, my head kicked in in the beginning, but I'll find a way to survive. I'll find a way to get the job done. Yeah, there's a little doubt, but you know what? Once again, I think of that guy in my ear. I think about stepping up to the stage. I think about the challenge. Like, I've lost sometimes, but I've won more than I've lost. And so, like, I bet on me any day. Choosing greatness. Greatness doesn't choose you. You know, you have to choose it. And, you know, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus. Hey there, Conquerors. Welcome to another episode of Conquering Columbus. Today on the show, we have Mr. Gary Ross. And Gary is the founder and CEO of WoundWise IQ. 
as well as the CEO and leadership business coach at Ross Innovations LLC. He's held leadership roles at several companies throughout his career, including heading up a division of 600 people at a Fortune 500 company, as well as the CEO of two smaller companies, leading one of them to a private exit. And he's also recently published a book, The Growth Cube, which you can check out at www.thegrowthcube.com. And we're really excited to have him here on the show today. Welcome to Conquering Columbus, Gary. It's a pleasure. I love you guys. Love what you're doing. Thanks for having me on. So let's start where we always start. What's a typical day like for you? Uh, pushing it hard. Pushing it hard. I'm, I'm probably pushing 80 hours a week. Just like everybody you have on this show, I'm sure they're all overachievers. I've had people tell me that, Gary, you're, you're too much of an overachiever. Uh, but I think on Conquering Columbus, you probably have a lot of overachievers on this show, right? Uh, so, I don't know. I'm pushing it, pushing it, man. I don't look back. I'm looking forward uh, what we can accomplish. 80 hours a week. I'd spend 50 hours a week on my startup company, which you just talked about, Woundwise IQ. And by contract with the Rev1, as part of their investment, you have to spend 40 hours a week. So, I've spent about 50 hours a week on that, and I've been doing that for... More than two years with no pay. Yeah, so 50 hours of my week is dedicated to this grinding startup, man. It is crazy. Uh, the other 30 hours a week is on my coaching. I finished up my book. I was taking some time. But I love doing all the stuff that I'm doing. All these things that I'm doing. I mean, it's, it sounds like 80 hours, but, you know, that's a lot. But I love all the stuff I'm doing. I think when you have the ability to be autonomous and kind of pursue your own dreams and passions and things that are fueling your life, Maybe that those 80 hours don't feel like they would to most people who, you know, hear 80 hours in the job that they're in, and it seems kind of bleak and a little bit, you know, yeah. uh, fearful of that. So before we jump in too much about WoundWise and all the good th stuff that you have going on today, start back at the beginning a little bit. We'll just talk about your path, where you are today. Maybe you can go through the, the things that feel like the high points in your career up until, you know, this the startup phase that you're going through. Well, I think in my childhood, I had a great family, very strong family bond a loving family, and four competitive brothers. So we competed in everything, two-on-two two in every imaginable sport. My dad was official quarterback or official pitcher, but we competed on all kinds of things. So I, I love competing. I still love that today. I love family, and I started back with my parents. Coming out of that, looking at college and things like that, I did compete by MBA, but that was 10 years after I got my undergrad. So my undergrad's in math. I love numbers. Yeah, you know, I love to work with data and analytics, all this trend toward analytics. I love that stuff. I love, you know, digging into numbers, seeing what's going on with the business by looking at the numbers. Uh, you can see it. Majoring in math, coming out of college, I did, know, did not know what I wanted to do. I, I did move into the right thing, unbelievably. I think sales is a great spot to be. And I moved into a sales shop. One of my friend's moms said, Gary, why don't you come work for my company? A little small company. I'm like, I don't even like salespeople. She's like, yeah, but you would be good. You would be good. And, and so... I went into it and I started making these commission checks, traveling all over on expense accounts. I'm like, this is so cool. And my wife fell in love with me. She's like, well, this guy's taking me out to nice dinners and we're like living great, you know? And I met my wife 30 years ago. We just celebrated our 30 year anniversary last week in Italy. Congratulations. Uh, thank you. And we, I met her way back then. Mm -hmm. when we were in our, she was 21. It was a great time in my life. You know, I finished my degree. Landed a sales job, met my wife, and we were off and running. And how does it unfold? Where does it progress from there? You stay at that sales job for how long? I was in sales probably five years. Great transition to marketing and to headquarters. Evolved out of a low point in my, probably my lowest point in my career, became my highest point. 
Uh, but sometimes when you think things are down and they're working against you, a great thing happens right after that. Uh, so it's funny how God works. You got to go with it. You got to go with it. Can you unpack that a little bit more too? It was so. Are you comfortable talking about what that low point was and, and how everything unfolded? It's going to sound little now, but when you're young, things are so big. Think about when you were five, how big some of the things were. And you look back now, it's like, that really bothered me that much? What it was was I had a big sale going on uh, with Ford Motor Company. <clears throat> I was going to close a huge deal. I was going to make $10,000 on the deal in commission, which is a lot. That's a lot of money, even today. And what were you selling, sorry, specifically? Uh, services. I've always been in technology services okay. and software and technology businesses. So it's technology services for Ford Modi Motor Company. And we lost a deal after a reorganization, okay? The new guy that came in decided he didn't want to go after it. After I spent, I think it's probably two years, developing the relationship and getting us in the door, it was going to be a big deal for our, for our division. And that we lost a deal. I was so ticked off. I was so ticked. And I was swinging, man. And, and so the headquarters VP comes into Detroit, which is where I met my wife and where I was working at that time. The, we had a big meeting about why we lost this deal. Because we were basically walked away from it. The deal was ours, okay? We basically decided we didn't want it. And so we had this big meeting, and I was fighting, and the next week, the VP calls me from Philly and said, I'd love to have you at headquarters. I said, why? Because I love the way you fight. And so I told my wife, I'm like, hey, I get this offer. We weren't even married then. I said, hey, do you, do you want to come with me? Because I'm going to Philly. And I take this job in marketing. So I left sales to go into marketing. I love the idea of more strategy and be able to drive the programs that I was always receiving. And I wanted to impact what programs we did and why we did them so i took it my wife followed me went to philly together and i married her the next year said i gotta marry this girl she's gonna follow me to another city i mean let's do it so that was the low to the up there's definitely some cohesion between the sales and marketing that maybe you don't see in a larger company, but you definitely see like in a company like our size. Like, I mean, they go hand in hand. And I'm assuming when you made that jump, I think a lot of people, uh, they kind of look at it as black and white, almost from like a sales to a development aspect. But there's marketing drives sales, sales drives marketing. I mean, the relationships, the tighter those are in companies, you know, obviously, um, usually the more success you see. So I'm interested when you transition into marketing, um, were you kind of hitting the ground running and find yourself approaching things in that group from a different perspective because you had seen the sales side and you knew how that worked and you knew you know, absolutely what the best marketing people are ex-salespeople because they've been out on the street taking the beating out on the road with the customer not having products that are maybe 100 percent not getting the support that, that they feel that they should get so the salesperson is out there alone just fighting the battle a lot of times and having that kind of person on your marketing team and that vision and, and that experience can really help your marketing effort to be more authentic to the customer. But I agree with you. It's a team. It's a team. I think marketing's the engine. And I'd learned that from my first, you know, CEO or CEO mentor, who I, I, one of my first dedications in the book, Bob Yopko. I always said marketing's the engine. I, I always said believe that. But the marketing team has to set that vision. With the sales team involved, of course, everyone's got to be involved. But I'm saying marketing has to be the engine to drive that company to the new place. Definitely. And so you take this marketing role. Where do you go from there? Went into a headquarters and just was like a bull in a china shop. I mean, I was aggressive. 
and I was fighting for the customer, and it was a very, it was Unisys, very political, 2,000 people at the headquarters at that time. I just couldn't understand it, because I was such a field guy, such a customer guy, and I was just swinging in all the meetings, just fighting for stuff. Uh, so I'd learned a lot. I learned a lot. I learned how to be patient, how to work with and through other people, how to develop a strategy that you could communicate. It was a big change. It was a big change. And I was relatively young. I'm, I wasn't even 30. I was at this big headquarters in a marketing manager job trying to find my way. How long did you stay there? Uh, I was there two years. And then what opened up at that point? Uh, the, what opened up was my opportunity to run my own team, you know. Within Ford or did you jump to another, another company? company? Yeah, I had the opportunity to run my own team. I loved that. And I didn't really talk about it beyond I talked about my college, but I coached while I was at college. Uh, I coached D1 men's and women's basketball and men's and women's track at Kent State. So while I was going to school, I was coaching. And then I would go home on the weekends and coach the high school kids. Like to my hometown, a little small town called Ashtabula. You guys know where Ashtabula is? Mm-hmm. My dad's still there, my brother. Uh, and we went home on the weekends to coach the kids. And I just love coaching. And I'm in coaching today. I'm still coaching. That's really the essence of what I offer. You know, the ability to inspire a team, you know, build a team. The chance to build my own team in marketing was really attractive. Uh, so that's what I went, went after. How did that opportunity open up when you were at Ford? Did you meet someone through your business network, or how did, how did that unfold? Yeah, I think it was meeting someone through the network. We were looking to come back to the Midwest. My wife wanted to get closer to home. It's the first time she was ever away from home. It was an opportunity in Columbus, Ohio, and so I took it. And so from there, let's start kind of moving towards present day. Can you take us through like the high points from, from taking over that marketing team to you know, maybe some of the key roles that you learned a lot in? And then all the way to when you started Ross Innovations and how Woundwise comes into play. I never dreamed of being a CEO. I mean, even in my early career, I, I wanted to be vice president of something. But I never thought I'd be a CEO until I met a CEO that I really I was inspired by him. Bob Yopko was with Emerson. You know, Liebert was acquired by Emerson, and I came into that company. Bob was my boss. And I saw how he did things, and he was people-oriented, and he built a team, and he was smart, and he was strategic, and he, you know, he thought about his people. That's what started me thinking. I was like, maybe I want to run a company. I never thought about that. I really didn't really have a goal. Isn't that weird? I mean, I, I don't know. I think a lot of people probably have a goal. Uh, but I didn't really have a goal. I just was going at it, man. I was just going for it, like a lot of your listeners probably are. They just going for something that they love to do, and, and they're working it hard. I, when I saw Bob in action, I was uh, in my 30s, and I'm like, man, maybe I want to run something. I got an opportunity to go to Europe. Uh, I took, relocated my family to Europe for an international assignment. I was doing a lot of international global travel, and I got my MBA, so I was you know, really going strong, and an opportunity opened up after we acquired a company in Europe to go over there. They offered me a president role, and it was a $50 million business that crossed EMEA, Europe, Middle East, Africa, and I was running the whole thing. So I'm like, okay, this is my shot. Let's go do it. So uh, my two kids were uh, four and eight, and my wife, we went over to Europe, lived in, lived in England, 
Uh, spent a lot of time in Italy, building a headquarters there, mm-hmm. and eventually came back and ran North America, which was the 600 people. Okay, and this was this was a different tech services company, or still the same that you were? No, it's different, but same okay. kind of thing. Right. Technology okay. services. Perfect. And and maybe a little like is can you, if you could, is there any like specifics there, like in terms of tech, like there's a variety of tech services, kind of. A little more granular? Well, Emerson provides uh, all kinds of equipment. And the, okay. the divisions I was supporting with my service business were ones that, if you look in a data center, mm-hmm. everything but the computer, all of the electrical, all the power, all the battery backup, all of the access control, fire protection, all the monitoring, uh, remote monitoring of that equipment. So we had a call center that had remote monitoring. Mm-hmm. So we would get alarms and all the equipment. Major data centers, airlines, huge customers. I was at, in New York City after 9-11 at the stock exchange. It was one of my customers that went down after 9-11. I was there like three days after, like having them get up and running. I had major league customers. We had everything in that computer room except the equipment. We had to keep the power up. So the power goes down, everything goes down. So really vital, uh, high-pressure uh, kind of service. So Emerson, president of the division over in England, you come back here, you're with another company in North America. What was that, what was that company that you jumped to? Still the same company. Still with Emerson? Okay. I run in North America instead of Europe. Okay. And then you spent how long doing the North American portion? Two years in that. Okay. And then where does the jump go from there? Is that where you take off and start Ross Innovations, or is there a couple more steps in No, I want a couple it? more steps with the smaller companies. I ended up running a $10 million company. I said, you know what? I want to take the, everything I've learned from this huge company that had awesome training, and I learned so much uh, about everything, like all these functions that I didn't know anything about in depth, you know, finance and HR. Uh, I was running these things, and I learned so much. I'm like, wow, this, is, this opened up a whole new thing. I'd love to run my own company. So I went to this $10 million company and led that company. Another through, tech company? Tech company, yeah. yeah Technology yeah. software. It was my first venture into software. So I spent about 14 years at Emerson at five promotions, and then I spent 14 years after that with smaller companies. So that's kind of been the, the second company that I went was $20 million, and I led it to a you know, private equity exit. And after that, the private equity company wanted to bring in their own team. So that's when I got into coaching. I'm like, okay, what am I going to do now? You know, do I take another company or do I do something else? And so I started coaching CEOs. And before, and you know, this actually might correlate. I was going to say before we get into the coaching, but what do you think makes a successful CEO, whether you're in England running $50 million, you're running all of North America, or you're running a $10 million company, um, there are probably different levels of nimbleness, if that's the proper word to look for, in those different positions. Um, But from your perspective, how does it change and what's the most crucial? Is there anything common across all those different roles and different companies? I, I've evaluated that. You know, I evaluated that. I took, uh, I read an article, uh, The Eight Qualities to Make a Great Boss. I took these eight qualities and I put them on a page and I took my five CEOs roles and I wrote them across the top and I graded myself. So that's something that I looked at myself. Like one of the things I talk about in the book is to evaluate you. Where have you been great in your career, and where have you not been great? What, what do you look back at that and learn 
you know, was it some, something that you did? You know, if you wanted to look in the mirror, was it something that you could do better at? Uh, were you in a different kind of role? So I think it's important to evaluate yourself, and I, I've tried to do that. I think uh, the greatest quality that I write about in the book of a CEO is courage. I think courage is the key quality to develop. If you, and you can develop courage. You can develop courage. And uh, every leader faces fear. They're afraid of things. They're afraid of getting beat. They're afraid of losing in the market. Uh, they're afraid their team won't follow them. You know, how do you overcome that? You know, do you build a personal relationship with people? I mean, think about your guys' time wrestling, how the coach treated you and inspired you. Uh, can you do that for your team? <laughs> if, you, if your coach did that. Now, yeah. Some coaches don't do that. Oh, he definitely did, but I think he had a creative way of going about it. Josh <laughs> has a question over here. Yeah, he had a creative way of approaching life in general. But, but I think the CEO having courage, being able to take on what is something really daunting, and to win in a marketplace when you feel, when you're maybe behind, when you don't have the team, you got to put that team together. Sometimes you got to cut friends on your team and let them go. Very difficult. Being able to take on a board, a board may want something different than what you want as CEO. How do you handle that? I mean, there's good ways to handle it and there's bad. I just think having courage, treating people the right way. Those are the quality qualities that matter. I think that's a really unique and strong point. I, I think one thing to call out there, you know, I've been fortunate to spend some time around really successful people who have given me feedback personally and, and you know, constantly trying to figure out how to um, grow and develop and instead of you know focusing on the perfection but focusing on the courage so I think a lot of people might have the courage but they, they benchmark themselves against the perfection you know and I think that a lot of those successful CEOs they don't really they realize that perfection isn't always going to be attainable maybe and I'm interested to hear have you noticed that same thing it's almost where you know the most successful they're constantly striving for perfection but they're focusing on the fact that they're continuing to try continuing to try and they're not scared of the setbacks or the failures. They don't really get hung up on those too much. I've seen that. I've seen that. I'm, I mean, I think you have very motivating people on this show. You, you have high-achieving people that make it to this microphone. Uh, so you're seeing kind of the best of the best fighters, uh, the guys that have the courage and are willing to fight through everything. But a lot of CEOs don't have that. And then, so let's, let's carry this into, um, let's talk more about the coaching and then how we got into, or how you got into WoundWise and then, um, you know, what the past two years of a grind have been on that. You know, how do you spend two years of time not taking a salary? What, what is your energy spent on and, and what's the mission, the goal, and who's behind the team? I have the energy. I definitely have the energy. <laughs> but it's very difficult and very challenging. I love challenges. Uh, and, you know, getting this company off the ground has been unbelievable. Unbelievably difficult. I don't know if it's the hardest thing I've ever done, but, but it ranks up there. And it's just exhilarating to build something from scratch. I mean, just like you guys have built this show from scratch. It's, a lot of, it's not easy to do. You know, all the things that involve, it's not just stepping up to the mic and doing things. You've got to have a legal entity, and you, you've got to handle the marketing. And if you hire people, you've got to you know, work on that and keep you know, the right team around you. There's so many things to do, and to build that from scratch I mean, I've always went into companies and run them. They already existed. Uh, so the challenge of this is just getting it up from scratch, uh, really inspiring people that are part-time that, hey, this is going to be great. Just hang in there with me. We're going to make this a great thing. I'm the only full-time person. 
I have 27 people on my team that are part-time that have might be even listening to this and they, they're awesome, okay? I, if you add up 27 people's part-time effort, that's, that's a lot. And half of them invested in our company uh, personally. You know, so we've got angels on my team that are our, my friends that, that put in money to help get us going. Uh, we've raised a lot of money. And we've made it through many, many hurdles. And we landed our first customer. So we've done so many great things, but it just never seems like you get there. And I was talking to Matt at Cover My Meds, and he was uh, doing a speaking engagement. And I, I stopped and said hi to him beforehand. And he said, Gary, it's eight years. Eight years from the point you start to the point you know, it actually pays off. And you got to be willing to put eight years of your life to whatever you're doing. You know, make sure you believe in it. You think it's going to be quick hit. Maybe I mean, two that years. That draws back to that courage, though, right? It's like if you're benchmarking yourself against this perfection of this overnight success or getting these sales right away, and you're not focusing on the courage of just grinding for the next two to eight years, you're going to come out um, probably pretty disappointed and unfilled. So, And, you know, that carries in. I think, Mike, you had a question there. Yeah, and I, I was just curious, maybe getting a little more granular on some of those initial shortfalls and some of the, the biggest challenges building something from scratch. And maybe even giving the listeners um, an idea behind what the mission and, and what you guys are doing at Boomwise, because right, yeah. so we haven't talked about that either. Yeah, I'd love to get some leads out of this. Any of you out there that are nurses or doctors are working at a healthcare facility that treats people with wounds, these chronic wounds is where we're focused, but our market really in the future is any wound. Uh, but we start with chronic wounds, and what are chronic wounds? They're wounds that last a long time, some, and take maybe over a year to, get, to heal. Uh, there are wounds that your parents or your grandparents might have, like a bed sore is a typical example, or someone with diabetes or their feet do not get the circulation, and if they get a cut or something, it doesn't heal because they don't have circulation. So these wounds get worse and worse, and they get infected, and they could lead to amputation or even death. Right? We can save someone's life with our product. That's what's so inspiring about this product. I mean, did you ever have a product like that? I mean, that's amazing. But the target the market are these people who have these chronic wounds and these nurses are taking care of them and they're trying to see if that wound is healing so these people come in every week typically and they look at the wound take the dressing off and they look at it and they treat it and they try to see if it's healing and what our product does is gives you an instant picture of the healing progress so we can tell you whether that wound is healing by doing imaging analytics so the downloading of an app to a phone or to an ipad the nurse now takes a picture instead of measuring the wound with a ruler by hand. They now can take a picture, uh, and it will tell them the trend of the healing progress, which gives them a lot of information uh, that allows them to pick the right treatment. All right, Conquerors, we're going to take a quick break to talk about one of our sponsors here on the show, Auto Slash. And if you've ever rented a car, then you know it can be one of the most annoying experiences ever, but Auto Slash is there to make it easy on you. AutoSlash will help ensure you find the cheapest car rentals by applying coupon codes to your rentals, ensuring you get the best rate available. And once you've booked your rental car, you can put your reservation into AutoSlash's tracker to make sure you're alerted whenever there's a price drop and rebook. It's basically free price protection for your rental car, helping you beat the big rental car companies by keeping every hard-earned dollar in your pocket. Renters on average save 30% or more using AutoSlash, and AutoSlash has saved customers over $30 million since it was created. So if you've got a trip coming up or you need a rental car for any reason, 
head on over to autoslash.com, which will be linked in the show notes, and tell them Conquering Columbus sent you. We also want to thank 301 Original. In today's market, the brands that pull ahead know how to represent themselves well. 301 Original is seeking to understand how your brand can be visually depicted by illuminating your brand values and showcasing what sets you apart. The team over at 301 Original specializes in commercial photography, web design, graphic design, and social media marketing. With a conversational approach, Kyle and his team will uncover your brand's creative needs and deliver excellence in support of your goals. 301 Original, currently published in Forbes, Petapixel, and GQ, has a reputation for outstanding creativity that attracts new business for individuals, startups, and Fortune 500s. Contact Kyle Asperger today at 301original.com to elevate your brand. All right, Conquerors, let's get back into this episode. What are the channels that you guys are approaching to um, get the word out there and, and grow the business? Are you guys approaching uh, hospitals, trying to get the whole hospital on board, or what do the partnerships look like there? Are you approaching individual nurses one at a time? We're talking hospitals. I mean, Ohio State Wexner originally invented this product. Those uh, physicians that invented are on, are on my board. We're in there with Ohio State Wexner. That's they actually own the patent of the product. I own the company and exclusive rights to take that product to market. So when I started at Wexner, and we've got a great relationship with them and people on our board and stockholders. We just announced uh, two weeks ago on a partnership with Ohio Health. We haven't got the check yet. There's one more committee it has to go through, but we've got verbal approval. We got approval from them in a press release. So we released a press release on this. They invested a lot of money. Uh, I'm not going to divulge the number yet until we get it. Uh, they invested a lot of money into our company to expand our product into telehealth. So we're going to take the same kind of product and move it into telehealth where the patient could take their own picture and communicate with the doctor. So Ohio Health is another great partner. We're going to pick up a physician from Ohio Health who invented another product on our board. Uh, so this is all happening as we speak with Ohio Health. So those two hospitals, and they're a combination of many hospitals, are really close to us. Hospitals are a great market. Post-acute, we call it. Post-acute being after someone leaves the hospital, they go to a nursing facility or they go to home health care. Uh, and the people that are treating those patients that are at home or in the nursing facility could use our app. So it's easily downloadable. Anybody can use it. It opens up remote care where a nurse at a home health care could take a picture and someone at, that's a wound care expert at Ohio State or Ohio Health could look at that immediately in our cloud. So you could be anywhere and see the status of that wound to give advice to a nurse that's remote. And then, so two questions here. One, how are you guys uh, monetizing the product? And then how is it differing from, and maybe it's because of the HIPAA, HIPAA regulations, from them just sending a picture through like a messaging app to the doctor themselves? Are there regulations around that? Or is the um, image analytics that you guys have the proprietary piece to that solution? That's it, the second part. Where the image analytics are patented. We just got a patent on the way we calculate the size of the wound. We can tell you the area of the wound with our algorithms. And we just got a patent for that. So it's the image analytics. A lot of people can take a picture, but there's no data around that. So we provide the image and the data. And right now we're pulling eight automatic elements. We're pulling the length, the width, the square area, the planimetric area, which is the true area of the wound. It's jagged. You know, so a square area is a square. So we, we can give you both of those numbers. We can give you all the colors. So is it getting more red? Is it getting more black? If it's black, or turning black, the skin's dying. Uh, so we can tell the trend in the co on four colors right now. 
And this will all move, uh, when you talk about the future, this will all move into artificial intelligence. We'll, we'll, we'll get more complex in the future. We'll be able to do and, and be able to tell more about that wound. When we take a picture, by looking at all the history of the ones that healed and did not heal, and we'll be able to say, wow, that one we just took a picture of is just like this one over here that healed, and this was the treatment plan that we used. Uh, so in the future, the computer, the application will become more intelligent as it learns the wounds that healed and didn't. And then how are you guys monetizing? Uh, it's a monthly subscription. You get access to, the, to our cloud and to the information. Just pay a, a, really a small monthly fee. It's not per user. I don't want to divulge all of our secret competitive tactics in the market, but the idea is you know, unlimited users. You, know, you just pay a monthly fee. Anyone can download this app. That's not where our cost is. Uh, it's un unlimited users for your facility. They can be remote. Mm -hmm. And they pay a monthly fee based on the volume of pictures taken. You're selling directly to the hospitals and to the acute care centers, post-acute care centers, things like that, right? Yeah. Okay. Perfect. That makes a lot of sense. And you already mentioned kind of a piece of it, long-term vision of the company is for an artificial intelligence app that's going to be helping to treat wounds. But is there any other piece to that, like five, ten years out? Where are you hoping this company's at? What's your goals? We're going to have other products. We just got uh, an SBIR grant, which is very difficult to win, a federal grant to now investigate burn wounds. Now, burn wounds are different. You can't see them by taking an image. You can't see the, the depth of the issue because there's a lot of it is tissue damage beneath the skin, beneath the surface, the epidural layer. So you want to see beneath that. We're going, we just want a $225,000 grant uh, where we're going to start testing a new product we call Burn IQ. So we got Woundwise IQ for chronic wounds, Burn IQ will be for burns, and we're going to be testing that at Wexner Medical Center with that team there. And you're the only full-time right now. Where do you think the next hires are going to come in at? And uh, do you have any um, kind of foundation in your mind laid out to where you see yourself? You know, it might be hard in the next 48 months to 5 years to 10 years with how much you guys are still evolving kind of the direction and the formation of the company, but where do you see the most crucial hires coming in the near future? Uh, I think a CTO would be great. Uh, we have uh, awesome developers, and we partner with a company called Full Stackers and uh, Rampart, two development companies that have been you know, great supporters and done an excellent job. And we want to continue to partner. Uh, but a CTO can help lead the overall visions, oversee the infrastructure, give it direction. You know, that would be great, a uh, great hire. Also, someone to head up business development, kind of like what you're doing, Josh, for your company. Someone that'll head that up, build the channels out, because we do have channels and we have direct sales uh, opportunities. So, how can we get more channels going so that's not all one-on-one -on -one hospital sales? So, someone that can head up the business development and maybe some of the channel sales, setting that up, so that we have more feet on the street. And then customer service, someone that will once someone's paying a monthly fee. Making sure they're taken care of, that they're responding, that we're on top of the issues, uh, that they have a voice, you know, someone that's going to you know, stand up for them, customer success manager of sorts, someone like that would be great. And are you guys getting any feedback from the market where they, like any objections for the product? I mean, when you're sitting down in front of people, are, is it overall positive results? And they're saying, yes, this will help us? People love the product. You know, getting payment is not as easy as you might think or at least some of the listeners who aren't in healthcare. But you think of someone like Ohio Health or Ohio State, Wexner, and you look at these places and 
and you look at the fee that we're charging, and you're thinking, this is going to be easy you know, for them. But they are very cost-conscious. Every place we're at is very cost-conscious, even though it seems like we have awesome health care in the United States, and we're charging you know, people a lot of money uh, for health care. And we have a tool that can help. You know, save somebody a leg. You know. uh, so it's not like a nice-to-have. It's something that you know, can help heal somebody. But it's not an easy sale you know, to get them to pay extra money to do this. That'd be the, that's yeah. what's most difficult. Yeah, it's interesting. Cause I don't I don't think I know enough about the healthcare space to understand how the money flows in there. But you look back at some of these products and you see that where they they plugged in and they took money that was already flowing in another direction, but they reduced it and they channeled it from fourteen sources to one source themselves. And it sounds like you guys are um, kind of coming in and saying we're going to provide a lot of value and benefit. But we're gonna plug in a new pipe where money's gonna flow out, and is that kind of you know where the where the tough part? There is, is a technique to all to all of the billing, and uh, we're we're working hard. You know, anyone out there that knows reimbursable codes, because uh, there's a whole coding system. Uh, some things that get reimbursed by Medicare, Medicaid, you know, they reimburse the hospital for things that they do. Uh, could this be one of them? You know, so we're trying to get smarter around reimbursable codes. How they how they might be able to expense this. Sound like yeah. that would be the ticket then. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that would be big. <laughs> and I think everybody's searching for that. There's nothing there today. Telehealth, there is some telehealth billing codes for if you're a remote patient and you're getting you know, uh, tr- uh, advice from a doctor that's remote, there are some codes that they can use in that particular, you know, but it's a specific situation. Mm-hmm. So we're trying to learn more about that, but that would open up the opportunity in terms of the pricing. Definitely. So from there... Let's kind of pivot to the growth to the growth cube, sorry, and talk about the book. What was your inspiration for it, and why cube? The growth cube, the cube has six sides, and they're all equal. So my, when I started thinking about all the uh, companies that I've led, it came down to these six items, what I call six dimensions of growth. Uh, it, when I started thinking about what was leading us to success at these different companies, and so that's what the six sides represent, six dimensions of growth. All very important. If you take one of them away, the cube falls down. You can't see them all at one time. Now, you can hold up a cube. You can never see all six sides unless you had a mirror. Okay? There's no way to see them all. And that's the way a lot of uh, business owners, and I'm mainly coaching small business owners, they're, they're so busy and, and so they're not short staff. They're just doing everything themselves uh, with a very little staff. Uh, they're so busy that they can't see all these six dimensions. So. What I tried to do is show them a way through six chapters. There's six chapters in the books for all six sides of the cube. And we take them through how to look at those different dimensions. And we give them tools. I mean, there's uh, charts and tools and techniques that I share that I've learned that worked. I didn't put the ones in there that didn't work. I Definitely the ones that didn't work. You know, uh, What I tried to share was, and I put my mistakes in there too, you know, my top mistakes. I start you know, chapter six, which is on leadership. Here's my number one mistake. You know. So I do put mistakes in there, but I do try to provide a lot of tools that work for me and a lot of step-by-step instructions uh, so they can be successful, a CEO and a leader, uh, at growing their company faster. And that's what it's all about. How do you get higher growth? Not single digit. How do you move it up? Your core business growth growing 30% plus, which a lot of my coaching customers are achieving now. So we're applying the tools under the growth cube to my coaching customers 
we're getting core business growth rates above 30%. And then, you know, the acquisitions and other things go on top of that. The inspiration for the book mm-hmm. was just to share uh, with other people, inspire other people that are trying to do this leadership game and run at companies. I, I just wanted to, you know, share with them. You know, all the stories, all the techniques, I mean, it's right there. 200 years from now, this book will exist, and I won't, you know. So it's a great accomplishment. I was, I've been writing for years. I mean, it's a great accomplishment to get it done. It's not just writing. I learned so much that, I mean, even just little graphs in this book, and I brought you both a copy hey. that I'm going to sign for you, okay? Uh, but just these graphics, I made all these graphics myself. I mean, these are not only making the graphics that are in the book, because some of them you can't just create with a Microsoft uh, art or something. I had to create them from scratch because uh, they take up the whole page, some of them. Uh, but I wanted to provide the tools. And that you know, having these graphics in the book and these different tools added a lot of time and effort, not only to my time making them, but the editor and the producer of the book, the publisher, uh, David Brawler, Brawler Books. Shout out to Brawler Books. Are they here in Columbus? Uh, actually out of Dayton. Okay. But he's, uh, David comes to Columbus all the time. He's very involved in Columbus. The, the publisher of the book, the editor of the book, they have to get everything in position so that it can be you know, printable on demand. And that takes a lot of time. So it's not just writing, you know, getting a book out. There's a lot more to it. And I took it down the road, man. I took it down the road. It's very determined to get it done. You said you've been writing for years. Have you been writing this for years? Or are, you, are you just um, accustomed to writing and then it all kind of came together and you pieced it together? No, I was focused on this. Mm-hmm. I was focused on this. How long ago did you start it? I mean, I had ideas years ago, you know, eight years ago I had ideas, but I didn't really start writing until three years ago when I started coaching. It's three Is years I, of a of well-thought-out yeah. grinding process. It's, it's a, a lot thought, to cultivate. I put a lot of thought to my writing. You can even read my blogs. I don't just throw blogs out there. I really try to put thought to it, just like I have with this book. Like, what are, like an example in the book is, what are the top three things you should do if you have a communication meeting with all your associates? Okay? You had your, all your associates in the room. What are the top three things that you should cover? And I go over stuff like that. I have really put a lot of thought to my meetings with my team, and I thought, what, what were the top things? You know, so it, it does take a lot of thought to do it well and make it high quality, and I try to do that with all my blogs that I get. Uh, humbly, I mean, I get very good open and click rates on my blogs, and then people see that I'm you know, trying to lay it out there and be passionate and share high quality. I mean, there's so many writers now, and I'm just trying to give some high quality meat that somebody can take away. And, you know, a large part of our listener base is, you know, 22 to 35 young professionals, and I think it's interesting in thinking about, you know, putting myself in a position where um, one of my very, very long-term goals would be to hopefully – gain enough knowledge and success where I could write a book where someone would want to read it. But I think along the way, documenting those things when we're going through these stages of, of growth in our career, because I almost feel like you get to a point in your career where you're like, all right, I'm ready to write a book, and then trying to reflect on it has got to be much tougher than just carrying those along as you're going through, you know? Certainly if you do it as you go through, like you said, you'd get more passion. Be more passionate if you did it, like you said. That's difficult. To keep that going. But yes, if you could, that would be a great way to do it. Because you would get all the passion, all the hurt, all the excitement. I mean, you would get it if you did it uh, as you were going through it. Absolutely. And, and Conquerors, if you want to read that book, you can find it at www.thegrowthcube.com. But Gary, I think good place to pivot towards one of our last questions of the show. 
and uh, you've heard this one before, but it's focused around the theme of our show, which is live uncomfortably. Uh, what do you think of when you hear the phrase, and how does it apply to your career? I, I, I thought about that. I know you focus on that. I, I beat cancer. So I, I beat cancer in 2014, took on cancer, uh, prostate cancer, and beat that. And, you know, when you are facing the potential to die, I mean, that's, that's pretty uncomfortable. You know, so it really makes you a stronger person, so much stronger, you know, mentally, uh, spiritually, even physically, but just tougher going through something like that, much more humble, you know, uh, to face something like that and take it on with so much support that I've turned into a positive now. I do talks around town about how to overcome major challenges in life. So I'll go talk to any groups, anybody listening uh, that has a group. I don't care if it's you know, one person or a thousand and one. But I come out and tell my story of what I've learned and try to help someone else that maybe is facing cancer or some other challenge. I, I've had a guy come up to me at one of my talks that lost his son. He's like, you inspired me. And the guy lost, he didn't even have cancer. So you don't know who you're going to touch if you take a challenge that you face and you get out there and realize that other people are facing worse things than that. Uh, you can help them out. And I've turned it into a positive. Uh, I run for Children's Hospital for little kids that, that have cancer. Uh, every year in the marathon, I'm one of the top fundraisers in the marathon. All of this happened. God took me down this road to make me even better, you know, where I'm helping all these other people that I would not have done had I not uh, faced cancer. What pulled you, and this will, this will definitely be our last question, but what pulled you out of the darkest moments, whether it was directly after they told you you had cancer, if that was the lowest point, if it was a week after when you continued to let it soak in, um, at what point did you feel the lowest there and, and what helped bring you back from the bottom? I mean, my family was so supportive. I mean, it almost makes me want to cry thinking about it. And, and my friends, but especially the people really close to me, so supportive. And I didn't want them to worry. And I think it's so important if you're going through something, if you can hang in there and be tough, it really helps everyone else. And I know that's not easy, uh, but if you can do that, you can help so much other people, and they're all there for you. So it's a weird thing. You, know, you don't want people to feel sorry for you, but you want them to be there and support you. You want them to encourage you. To go get it, man. Just go after it. And that's what you want to hear. Uh, and I had a lot of that support. One of my, I mean, I never really got, I, don't, I can't say I ever got low. I mean, I was lower, but I was so determined. I ran a marathon in the middle of my treatment. So that's like one of my famous stories. In the middle of my radiation, I ran a marathon. And a doctor that I had said he had never seen that. 17 years. I said, I just want to know if I'm going to die. And like, if I, when I run it, am I going to die like in the middle of the race? You know? And he's like, I don't know. No one's ever done it. No, but he, I'm sure he would have told me if that would have happened. Uh, but I ran one of my best times, uh, ironically. I ran a really good time. Uh, you got like, you know, say, I got people out there going to get radiation and get faster treatment times. Yeah, yeah the radiation. We got to be <laughs> The radiation made me faster. It's like, a, uh, yeah, it's like banned from the Olympics. You know, you can't. <laughs> but no, I. I I had down moments, I had up moments, uh, but most of all, I tried to take it into a positive for other people and help them out uh, with what I've learned. So this is what I do is just share my story, get it out there places like this. You never know who you're going to touch. Uh, somebody will probably call me tomorrow or text me or email me and say, hey, you were talking about that. You know, want to grab a coffee? I mean, it's weird how this has led me down some other roads that I would never would have picked.
Absolutely. And, and Gary, I think that's a great place to wrap up. Thanks for joining us on the show today. Thank you. Awesome. I appreciate it. You guys are doing a great job. Well, we appreciate that. Conquerors, thanks for listening. That was Gary Ross, CEO of Med Compliance IQ, as well as Ross Innovations LLC. Hope you guys enjoyed that episode and learned a lot. We'll talk to you next week. If you guys enjoyed that episode, check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, as well as iTunes, Pocket Cast, Stitchers, whatever your favorite podcast app is. And go ahead and click that subscribe button. It'll make sure you never miss another episode of Conquering Columbus. Before we let you go, we want to take one last moment to say thanks to all of our incredible sponsors one more time. And that starts with 301 Original. In today's market, the brands that pull ahead know how to represent themselves well. 301 Original is seeking to understand how your brand can be visually depicted by illuminating your brand values and showcasing what sets you apart. The team over at 301 Original specializes in commercial photography, web design, graphic design, and social media marketing. With a conversational approach, Kyle and his team will uncover your brand's creative needs and deliver excellence in support of your goals. 301 Original, currently published in Forbes, Petapixel, and GQ, has a reputation for outstanding creativity that attracts new business for individuals, startups, and Fortune 500s. Contact Kyle Asperger today at 301original.com to elevate your brand. Conquering Columbus is brought to you in part by the Sundown Group. The Sundown Group is an Ohio-based nonprofit that helps connect entrepreneurs to investors, mentors, talent, and capital. Through business pitch events, workshops, and classes offered throughout the state. And for more information, head on over to sundownfirst.org. And our last sponsor is Facilities Management Express, or FMX for short. FMX is actually founded and headquartered here in Columbus, Ohio. They're a startup software company. What's really cool about them is a lot of competitors in this space, but they made a name for themselves by designing an easy-to-use and tailored-fit facilities maintenance and management software. They serve industries ranging from churches and schools to property management, manufacturing, and fast casual restaurants. You can learn more or check out a free trial at gofmx.com. You could drop me anywhere on the planet in any environment, and I might get you know, my head kicked in in the beginning, but I'll find a way to survive. I'll find a way to get the job done. Yeah, there's a little doubt, but you know what? Once again, I think of that guy in my ear. I think about stepping up to the stage. I think about the challenge. Like, I've lost sometimes, but I've won more than I've lost. And so, like, I bet on me any day. Choosing greatness. Greatness doesn't choose you. You know, you have to choose it. And, yeah, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus.